Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, everyone. Brendan here with Mark, as always, episode 200. And 39, Friday, 29th of April, 2022. And Mark, I'm a little bit like you the last week or so. I've had a few days off. We've had a, some holiday, a couple of holidays here in Australia. Um, and um, I'm feeling pretty chilled, Mark. Um, I know I, I'm feeling a bit like you are most of the time these days. <laughs> I do. Um, You've earned times. it, Brendan. You've earned it. Having some, um, and I've been playing around a little bit with, and we might chat about it as a review at one stage, my new camera body. Um, and I think, oh, you've seen a few pics, um, but we'll talk about that at another time. But um, it's forcing me to get out and about a bit more, which is great. And I've got a few spots I want to visit to look at some of the local wildlife as well that I haven't been to for a very long time. So, yeah, life is good, Mark. Life is good. What about yourself? Pretty much the same, Brendan. It's um, you were talking off air about how um, the weather's been just exceedingly generous, and it's oh, a glorious day here um, at the moment. Going into sunshine. our going into our what autumn period here in Australia, and yes, it's um, it is. And I'm just looking outside. We're, we're, Record at different times, don't we? We're recording well, basically midday today, and I'm looking out the window here, and it's yeah, beautiful blue sky. So, a lovely um, low twenties, I think, Celsius autumn day here. So fantastic! So all is good, Mark. Um, no email to speak of, so um, we're looking forward to some email because we're getting a little bit feeling a little bit lonely, aren't we, Mark? When we don't get email, vetgurus at gmail dot com. Drop us a line, tell us a little bit about where you're from, and yeah, we don't we're happy bite. to talk about anything. Like yes. I think sometimes I know I'm guilty of this, Brendan. When people ask for you know responses to their emails, I feel like I've got to construct something that's really important to respond, and and I and I've, often I fail to communicate very well as a consequence. And really, all people are after is some some you know communication. We'll talk about anything. Absolutely, just say hi. You thought our last podcast was crap, and. Um, listen next time um and we'll try and improve it um yeah so drop us a line visit the website vetgurus.com have a poke around there look at the previous episodes and become a subscriber that's all we ask mark that's all we ask don't we and maybe think about giving a donation um if you really enjoy it so i'm going to jump into we're going to be short and punchy this week mark um i had two news stories a little bit depressing. Well, they're a very big, big bit depressing, aren't they, Mark? Um, I selected these two. Why? Because I thought we'd we'd cross off two of the non non upbeat um, reports because I think it's important to cover some of these as well. And um, my one is about a dolphin that was stranded on a Texas beach in the U.S. of A. died um, as is unfortunately the one for many of these marine mammals that are stranded, unfortunately, regardless of how well they try and um, look after them. But the tragedy or the double tragedy for this one, um, that it died, um, the report was that it was 
been harassed by a crowd of people after the rescuers tried to um, help it back into the into the water, um, and some people were reportedly marked trying to ride the animal um, before the marine mammal stranding network and the authorities arrived there after it had died, Mark. So, and apparently there was a few videos of people attempting to ride this dolphin um, after they pushed it into sort of waist-deep water. So um, I don't think there's anything positive out of this story apart from the fact that people are stupid, Mark, aren't they? And, some, um, some people are yes, stupid. Yes, Have you some, been involved in any um, res- marine rescues that no, dolphins? No, um, not at all. Um, I've had the potential opportunity to help out with a couple of strandings, um, but things just haven't worked out for me to to get there. This was many years ago. So what about yourself? We have we've we've um dealt with unfortunately they that like many of the wildlife situations, they end up being well, the one I'm thinking of at the moment ended up being a necropsy. Um but um but yeah they they're they're um the re- the reason it jumped to my mind was that um uh, I distinctly remember, you know, a six foot four burly Australian lifesaver, tough as nails. You know, um, he worked as a chippy when he wasn't out on the beach. Um, and this toughest of men, well, it was a, a, a juvenile dolphin, had been caught in, separated from its mum, and caught in the waves and and drowned, and then washed up. Um, and uh, and. It was one of the the you could see in his face and the tears rolling down his eyes. It was one of the you know um, epoch forming experiences in his life to be in that contact and then to see the animal lose its life. Yes. Um, and and yeah, I suppose I wish there was more um, feelings like that all around the world, particularly in Texas, maybe. Yes. Uh- Unfortunately, a lot of these sorts of events, a bit like the the high profile, you know, bushfire relief events here in um, with animals in Australia as well, end up also becoming political as well, don't they, Mark? And um, it's it compounds, doesn't it, the frustration um, with some some of these cases where you're trying to do the right thing by the animal, and then you get caught up with all these different organisations and the politics of it as well. So, yeah. But, yes, do not ride dolphins is the um, takeaway okay. message for that, my, Mark. What, what do you My have? news story is a, um, it's a touch historical, reflecting on history, um, and um, and it uh, discusses the the um, the first um, chimpanzee, the first homonym to um, go into space. Um, it's... Uh, it's interesting that in 1961, January 31st, 1961, um, a chimpanzee called Ham was launched on a rocket from Cape Canaveral um, and uh, rose to a, a height of 251 kilometres, I believe, um, and, um, and Yep, an altitude of 250 kilometres. The rocket travelled at 9,000 kilometres a second. The whole flight took 16 minutes from launch to return. Um, the 
Pam was chosen from a, a group of chimpanzees who were trained to pull levers um, uh, during the procedure. It was, it was essentially to see whether they could, you know, behave normally during the stresses of space flight, uh, um, a guinea pig for humans, as it were. Um, and Ham did all the right things. Um, he, uh, he, what did he got? Um, he got a banana if he pulled the right lever and a, 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 a short electric shock for not pulling the right lever. He was so panicked during the flight that he did, um, he did receive um, two short shocks, um, and he and the article notes that he had a sixteen centimeter rectal thermometer in place during the procedure as well. Um, he experienced 6.6 minutes of free fall and, uh, and 14.7 Gs of acceleration on descent, which was much greater than predicted by the, uh, the plan. Um, and all the biomedical data showed that the poor chimpanzee experienced significant stress during acceleration and deceleration. Jane Goodall observed his... Uh, his uh, face and said she had never seen such terror in chimpan in a chimpanzee's expression. Um, however, Ham was calm while he was weightless. It was the the forces of acceleration and deceleration that uh, that um, upset him. He survived the flight, but nearly drowned when the capsule he was in started filling with water after its ocean splashdown. Fortunately, the helicopter recovery team reached him in time. Um, he got an apple for emerging from the spacecraft successfully. Um, he lived for 20 years afterwards, Brendan, um, in a Washington Zoo by himself. They tried to introduce him to a, a group of chimps in another zoo, um, and he died in 1983 at the age of 26. Um, they kept his bones. They did a post-mortem. Um, yeah, he seems to be a... Um, I think he's the only live chimp that's gone into space, but uh, there are some um, some recordings of uh, of chimpanzee screams that are on various tapes in flight going out into the solar system now. <coughs> Excuse me. What do you think, Brendan? What do I think? Um, I'm just clicked on one of the links. That led on from this article, and I can see that they did. Well, there's a bit of controversy after he died and what to do with his body um, because he's regarded as a bit of a hero, according to NASA, isn't he? Um, but the US Air Force, which owned or um, belonged to um, Hadham, agreed to bury him initially, but they kept his skeleton and all that remains of him now. And there's a, um, a bit of a poignant picture of a drawer of his skeleton, mark his bones um, at the National Museum of Health and Medicine, uh, where his disarticulated set of bones is in the drawer. Um, yeah, I don't know, Mark. Um, I don't know what to say about this story. <laughs> it's interesting that the, 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 last couple of paragraphs of that article point out the intersectionalism that uh, Ham... Ham's name was an acronym for Holloman Aeromedical. Uh, Holloman was the the Air Force base on which these chimps were trained. Um, but um, 
but philosophers have since pointed out that Pam's name inevitably recalls Noah's, Noah's youngest and only black son. And um, the Air Force Base uh, women were actively excluded from um, the spaceflight program. Um, yeah, so so there's a lot of um, um, I don't know social uh, uh, philosophical intersections um, that that the that ham the chimpanzee is at the centre yes. of. And I think longer um, the extra little bit addendum to that article they talked about the astronauts of the 1960s mercury program felt their masculinity threatened by performing the same tasks as chimps (laughs) (laughs) and uh, a quote from one of them was none of us want to think that they're going to send a monkey up to do a man's work well what we're what they're trying to do is to send a man up to do a monkey's work Um, yes so there's lots of um yeah, there's interesting um, twists on this particular story there, Mark. Um, so, yes, but, well, at least we're not sending up chimps anymore, that's all I can say. Yep, the only chimps will be the humans that go up there. Um, oh, I forgot to do a quick review, Mark, um, before we talk about our main topic. Yes. Um, because um, I I wanted to update... I have a, a guide for mammals and reptiles and birds uh, identification basic guide, and I, I wished to update my bird guide, Mark, um, to mainly use it as a bit of a field guide because I'm starting to take a little bird in flight photos and be getting a bit twitchy, Mark, as you've noticed lately. And I consulted an expert. Yours truly, Mark. Um, <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough, you recommended the. I said, "What what is one book you would recommend as far as a, a bird guide or a bird field guide?" And the one you did recommend was the updated version of the one I already had at work, was so I was quite pleased with that. I'd already selected a decent one, and that it's just called the Australian Bird Guide, and we will link to it. And I ordered it. Well, I ordered it through Amazon, I think, and it came very quickly. And I've been having a bit of a flick through it, and it is. Um, Whoops, a couple of technical glitches there, Mark. That was just about when I was to say how good I thought this book was, um, The Australian Bird Guide, and I was about to say I thought it was quite wondrous, Mark. Very good. Um, I've thoroughly been enjoying flicking through the pages and looking on all of these birds there. I am turning into a twitch. You are, you are indeed. Uh, And I had a bit of a read through the introduction there and it was quite good talking about bird plumage and migration and um, I learned a fair few things there so I I thoroughly enjoyed it so thank you Mark for that recommendation the Australian Bird Guide and interestingly enough I was looking at the long list of contributors there but the main um, author there CSIRO Publishing the main author is Peter Menkhorst and I'm fortunate enough to have met Peter on a on a couple of occasions. Um, so, yes, um, thoroughly recommend it. Mark, I give it an, a, a really solid 8.6 out of 10, and we'll link to that at vetgurus.com. Good work, Brendan. Listen, I've got a, one thing I've, out of that that I just wanted to check with you was um, I find this book, uh, with its detailed paintings and the highlights of very specific features, uh, wonderful and helps me identify the birds. Um, I wonder whether, um, because there's no photos, 
And I have, have found that some people prefer photos to compare to to identify the birds. Other people love these um, these uh, stylized, more stylized images. What yes. do you find? Do you find the paintings useful? Yeah, definitely useful. Uh, I, I think having photos would be great, um, and I think that's where, and we'll have to review them at some times, apps um, on your phone can come into um, play there, um, both with both with a quick look at photos and um, there's some excellent keys, isn't there? Like the um, ornithology, the the um, that Cornell ornithology. Um, um, what's Merlin? What do they call themselves? Merlin, yes, um, is excellent, and also bird calls as well. There's some great identifications via bird calls um, that you, apps that you can use. I think if we had, the, I mean, the idea would be having both, wouldn't it? You could have linked to the illustrations plus the photos, but yeah, to make it a very hefty book and not exactly a easy to carry field guide because I think it's published on pretty heavyweight paper and it's quite quite hefty there i think it'd be way close to a i don't know close to a kilo or so wouldn't it mark um, it, it's a, i think it's about 600 grams and i really think of it as a car guide more than like a, you wouldn't want to be whacking it in your backpack for a five-day trip um no, around no. there that's where you'd reach for those apps that don't weigh quite as much so there we go the Australian bird guide and i will link to it in our podcast episode at vetgurus.com. So let's jump into our main topic, Mark, um, and that is, oh, it's a, a fairly narrow topic, so to speak, rabbit nasolacrimal duct flushing, and it's something that you and I have performed many, many times or attempted many, many times, and I think that's part of what we want to get across here today is how to go about the process of flushing the nasolacrimal duct of rabbit and why we would flush them as well. So do you want to jump into the um, first point or comment, Mark, and why, why do we do this? Well, it's because of overflow. It's because we get um, many rabbits presented to us um, with obstructed nasolacrimal ducts where the normal tear production is not passing through the duct and is overflowing onto the face. And, and that's the, you know, the, the client might interpret that as a conjunctivitis or an eye problem or um, they might see that, um, that uh, there's a scald even as that uh, um, moisture overflows and runs down the face. Um, there may be an area that even gets um, infected and scabbed up beneath the eye. So that's generally what alerts us to the potential from, for a problem, um, unusual epiphora. Um, and then on examination, we can be very, once we rule out other causes that might be increasing the flow and they're not there, we can, uh, we can certainly have a high index of suspicion because it's very common that there's an obstruction or problem with the nasolacrimal duct. Yes, and that's where the client rings up and says, my rabbit has a weepy eye, and we start thinking, is this a nasolacrimal duct problem? Um, and as you mentioned, we also examine the eye and we look for signs associated with um, a primary eye disease causing it um, there but um, and then we start narrowing down to is it an issue with that nasolacrimal duct that we may consider we need to test the patency of it mark um, what are some of the other 
causes that you see, Mark, um, as far as causing problems with the nasolacrimal duct. And the obvious one there that people jump into first off is that dental disease is often linked to a nasolacrimal duct blockage or, or, or destruction sometimes. So how does that work, Mark? Well, the nasolacrimal duct tracks down from the eye into the, um, the bone of the upper jaw and circuits uh, around the tooth root of the incisor, very close to the tooth root of the incisor. And so um, changes, infection, remodelling um, to that uh, bone uh, in the maxilla where the incisor uh, tooth root is sitting can have a direct impact on the patency shape, um, uh, all those other aspects uh, of the nasolacrimal duct. So um, the anatomy means that um, that we frequently associate dental disease um, with the, the uh, problems that might flow. So, of course, the first thing to do once you're happy there's no corneal ulceration or uh, there's not a piece of... Uh, uh, um, chaff in the conjunctival sac is to do a pretty detailed examination of the mouth, Brendan, and, and uh, exactly what's going on there. Exactly. So it is a it is a species specific sort of thing, isn't it? Particularly that we think if we have a chronic, especially with these chronic epiphora, these chronic discharge in eyes, and especially if we have a chronic unilateral discharge from an eye in a rabbit, I'd, I'd be thinking highly likely that we have some sort of dental disease sitting there in the background. The other potential causes, yes, you've already listed an excellent one that can cause a discharge from the eye and that rabbit being presented to you in the consult, and that's a foreign body in the eye. And that is pretty damn common, isn't it, Mark, Um, in in rabbits as well as other little furries like our guinea pigs as well. So as part of that process of examining and determining the cause of that chronic epiphora we need to do a thorough examination of the eye and its surrounding structures what else could cause problems with that nasolacrimal duct mark well it's the uh we've talked about dental disease um the nasolacrimal duct while a piece of chaff or something could get into the conjunctival fornix a very small piece of foreign body material can wash down, you know, the nasolacrimal duct acts as a drain and so small pieces of foreign material can get into the nasolacrimal duct. And as it enters the bone, um, there's like a fixed point at which uh, it can no longer dilate. The most proximal part um, can stretch a fair bit, um, but you could get a foreign body in there and that foreign body can give rise to um, secondary infection within the duct um, so that we have a dacryocystitis um, and that then we have pus and muck build up in there that clogs it up. So an infection within the duct is always a potential problem, Brent. Yep, absolutely. And also thinking about different breeds of rabbits as well, we can sometimes see, and it's not, it's unusual um, to, to rare, but we can certainly see congenital issues where that rabbit just does not have a patent nasolacrimal duct. It's not been good from day one with them. Do you, do you think with those congenital issues, I, I've definitely noticed a pattern that the contraction of the face, so the dwarf breeds, um, as that face shortens, I think that the anatomical route of the nasolacrimal duct is exposed 
more delicately to other things going on. So um, while a congenital, we have seen rabbits that have a congenital a- absence, um, an atresia, um, there definitely is a higher incidence in those sh- uh, brachycephalic rabbits, isn't there, Brendan? Yes, Yes, or or that it's a yeah, um, like you say, it's not a. It may not be a true congenital condition in that individual, but because of the the design of that um, squashed in face rabbit, it makes it prone to having issues with that nasal lacrimal duct um, throughout its lifetime, most definitely. And that could include, you know, the other causes that we often often can often see is is just a straight traumatic um, um, cause there, and um, I've, and that could be something as simple as a, 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 a fight with a cage mate, cage mate bonded rabbit um, around the face area, um, the rabbit being spooked and just having some blunt trauma to the side of the face, um, facial area and damaging that nasolacrimal duct there. Um, and the other obvious one, which we won't touch on in in any great detail, is, is some sort of... Um, eye condition there and then we're, we're having, having uh, for instance, swelling of the um, punctum um, region of that nasolacrimal duct. So it, it's not, um, it's it's closing over there and then we're ending up with that um, inflammation or infection of that nasolacrimal duct there. So, um, and we've even had um, uh, abscesses and tumours that are retrobulbar that push the globe out and obviously interfere with the normal flow and and result in, you know, what we see as nasolacrimal duct disease, um, overflow epiphora, but the problem start, can start somewhere else, as you said. Yes, yes. So let's try our best to talk about and walk through the methods of flushing the nasal or assessing the nasolacrimal duct mark and I suppose my first comment would be there is a reasonable number of rabbits where you can manage to do this with the rabbit awake even in a consultation if the the owners are, are chilled out enough um, and the rabbit's chilled out enough um, and if not then we may have to take it to sedation or anesthesia in order to do it. Um, but those ones, let's just chat about the ones where we managed to assess and, and catheterise that nasolacrimal duct in a consultation with the rabbit awake. Um, my method, Mark, and I'd be interested to see what, what you do, is to um, place some local anaesthetic like the alkane type um, eye drops into to the affected eye or both eyes if we're going to examine both or flush both um, and wait several minutes. Um, have an assistant, usually one of the um, veterinary assistants, to help um, to gently hold that head of that rabbit um, at an angle which makes it easy for you to visualise where that punctum is that our opening of that nasolacrimal duct on the medial aspect there of the eye um, good lighting obviously is is important there and you may even consider magnification and that could be anything from a uh, fancy um, um, loops which i presume you may be using um, when you like to use mark um, or a variation thereof on something like that um, my preferred method to actually cannulate it and flush it is to have a three mil syringe of of something like Hartman's or saline and then I use a 24 gauge catheter mark um, intravenous catheter um, to try and 
enter into that opening um, and draw in the and one tip that I'd suggest is very important to do is to pull the stylet back a little bit a few millimeters so um, we aren't poking um, that that eye or that punctum with the stylet so it's just the just the actual catheter um, that that's touching the the entrance to that nasolacrimal duct um, and a steady hand mark um, and I'm often using um, although it's hard to do in a in a audio podcast um, I'm, I'm using the the base of my um, hand um, to rest on the rabbit's head um, to um, to stop any 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 twitching mark and, and any um, movement there um, or shaking um, as I'm trying to catheterize it there. Um, so that's the basics of how I try and catheterize them. Um, and once I've managed to slide that in, and it, 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 the good news is it it, it is fairly tactile isn't it mark you do know um it's pretty obvious if you've managed to slot it into the correct position there into the nasolacrimal duct and we'll we'll slide in about i don't know up to five millimeters or so maybe a tiny bit more but um and once we've done that we remove the stylet and then attach our little flush three mil syringe and then we're using that to assess the patency by by gently um, uh, infusing um, and seeing whether or not it just backflows out the eye region um, whether we have any clear discharge or milky discharge and hopefully we're going to see some discharge down to that to the nares to the nostril there mark um, and that's where the assistant will be gently gently just sort of touching or opening up the, the nostril on the affected side that we're trying to flush um, to see if we're, we're having any any um, any throughput there. Um, so that's sort of the process of how I, I do it there, Mark. I probably missed a few things there. But, um, I doubt it. It sounds very, very similar to what I would do, Brendan, and, and it is surprising. I find it surprising um, how many... Uh, of the tractable rabbits that you can do uh, simply by um, using one of those short-acting ocular local anaesthetics to um, uh, to allow you to uh, to do it while they're conscious. Um, but if they play up at all, obviously a, a sedation or short anaesthetic is important. I like your description of resting your hand so that. Um, so that I, the way that I tend to do it is if I'm looking at the rabbit's right eye, I'll use my left hand with my fingers on the top of the rabbit's head, using my thumb to roll that lower lid out um, and, um, and make sure that, uh, that I've inverted the lower lid. And then I, t- I tend not to use the stilet. I often just automatically attach the uh, 24 gauge catheter tip to yep. the needle and and rest that on my thumb so it's nice and steady um, and if the rabbit does move my hands holding the head everything moves together so I'm not tearing anything um, and as you said just and it's an interesting the opening to the nasolacrimal duct is an interesting slit like structure it's not it's not a perfectly round ostium as you stretch the the uh, the lid, averting it, the opening sort of tends to look like a little um, flap more than anything else. Yes. Um, and, um, and of course, I've got to um, uh, get my embarrassment out of the road in the first instance. If they are anaesthetised and the head is, um, is uh, covered somewhat uh, for other reasons, you've got to remember that they, unlike dogs who uh, have um, 
both uh, dorsal and ventral openings, our rabbits only have that ventral opening. So you can spend an awful lot of time, if you are disoriented, searching for an opening on the upper lid. Um, uh, so make sure you know which direction um, you're facing and the rabbit's facing if you haven't got a clear view of everything. Um, but, yeah, yes. otherwise it's exactly the same. Um, the other thing I've... I, the, while I'm going through my embarrassing things, um, you something you said struck a chord with me that uh, the fine gauge catheter does allow backflow, um, and so if there is an obstruction, and you use a 24 gauge catheter in most rabbits, you're going to the 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 excess will flow back into the eye, and you'll realise it's not going through to the the nares. Um, if you use a catheter that's much larger than that, um, then you can obstruct the opening and um, and even with a, a weakened nasolacrimal duct that's inflamed, um, you can tear the uh, mucosa and, and potentially inoculate that periocular tissue with a, a mill of, of um, saline, maybe even with some bugs. Yes. <coughs> Yes, excellent points, Mark. Um, Do you I ever just... collect the the draining material, Brendan? Rarely, rarely, <laughs> yes. Um, while I remember, um, I'd like to go back one step, and I'll, often when I'm checking those nasolacrimal ducts for patency, I may, before I've done that catheterization, just use the old fluorescein stain, Mark, um, as part of the clinical exam of that animal and then complete the rest of the clinical exam of the rabbit and then recheck with the UV light five or ten minutes later and if I'm not seeing any discharge coming through the nostrils like you would be looking with any species then then we start thinking okay it's time to think about flushing or or assessing the patency with the with the catheter so um, that's an easy thing to do and i um, sometimes forget to do that and jump straight to um, putting the catheter down there i must admit um, so the good news is mark um, there's a reasonable number of these rabbits where we do um, catheterise the nasolacrimal duct and manage to unblock it and it does dramatically help um, things along um, um, although we do it needs to start thinking about what is the underlying issue that's happening with that animal there Mark. Um, I've got a question for you Mark, do you, um, how, how commonly do you inject uh, and, and contrast agent and, and do those fancy little um, contrast radiographs of these to see if they've got that, you know, shattered, completely dilated nasolacrimal duct um, that you occasionally see? Well, it's been much more frequently since uh, the quality of our radiographs have improved, dental um, radiograph machine. Um, uh, we've been doing it much more, but, um, but uh, it wasn't something that I traditionally did. Um, and I still struggle to interpret um, uh, the... There's some obvious ones where the the um, obstruction is clear and the deformation of the bone is apparent and it's associated with the tooth. But there's other ones where I find the the um, contrast medium um, difficult to interpret. So I'm still learning how that works, Brendan. Yes, yes, I must admit it, it, it's rare that I'd perform that procedure. Um, I should be doing it more often. Um, so it's... Yeah, flushing nasal and there's some great 
papers and um, descriptions of and pictures of how to do it um, walkthroughs in in the literature there mark isn't there so um, I'm sure if people do a bit of a search through the veterinary literature and the, the classic textbooks I'll be able to find some some pictures of how to do it but it's certainly something that a, the general practitioner should not shy away from doing um, and it's important part of that process but I think one of the key things we need to always remember is um, thinking about what are the causes of the blockage of this nasolacrimal duct and always 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 with the chronic ones with rabbits think there's a high chance it's dental disease sitting there in the background with those tooth roots obstructing or obliterating um, the nasolacrimal duct it is always yeah. good when those ones that you do you know and i would say it's probably almost like a 50 50 split the ones that you get that you are able to flush um you uh, gently push, there's nothing coming through, the, you gently push a little bit more and, and then you do get some flow through to the nose. Um, they're excellent because you've got a good feel that they're going to settle down and there's been some uh, temporary reason that, um, that the duct has been blocked. Um, hopefully it's a little bit of dried mucus or uh, a tiny foreign body that you've been able to flush out. Yes. Um, but, but like you said, you must talk to the client. And I think there's a certain number of these ones where um, the chronicity is added to by strictures that not just the external pressure of the tooth root, but um, the inflammation within the duct ends up causing narrowing and, and predisposes to further problems down the track. So communicating that with the client. Yes, I agree completely. And I often use the analogy of chronic otitis conditions in animals because often a client will, will, will um, associate with that saying if look if your dog or cat you've ever had a dog or a cat that's had a, a chronic ear infection um, the ears never quite the same and it's often scarred and, and strictured a little bit and it's prone to flaring up again and I'll use that as the analogy when I'm explaining the nasal acmal duct issue they have in their pet rabbit as well any f no, f no more final comments, Mark, before we get out of here? And apologies to our listeners for our little technical glitch. Our software program kicked us out halfway through this recording, so hopefully we'll be able to stitch it all together. And uh, Just be keen, Brendan, to hear our, um, our listeners, uh, the, their experiences with nasolacrimal duct flushes in rabbits, and, and maybe they've got some little... Uh, um, individual techniques that um, that help them get through the process, but um, no, that it's a good, quick, sharp, punchy topic. Excellent. We'll talk to you all next week and send us an email at gurus at gmail dot com. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.